Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's Cab Chat podcast. I'm Dr. Mindy Waite, and we have with us, as always, Dr. Jessica Lockhart. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and we have a special guest and a special podcast for you all in that we have invited Dr. Camille Ward, who is a, a cab, as are Jessica and myself, and she's also the owner of About Dogs LLC in my second favorite city in the U.S., which is Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hey, Camille. Yay. <laughs> Woo. Hi, and so for, for this month's podcast, we're going to be talking about the annual rants and raves. I know we skipped it last year, but maybe it just means we have that many more rants and raves saved up. And the purpose is to just chat through what we think is going really well in the field or, or experiences that we've had that have gone really well, or maybe things that, you know, we think need to, to change. So I know we all have probably lists of several items, but Camille, can I, can I start with you since you're the guest? Yeah, absolutely. To come up with one of the rants or the raves. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the rants that I have is people who walk their dogs for exercise and they don't let them sniff or stop to investigate on walks. That's kind of, that's kind of one of my rants or thinking, you know, old school that a walk means that the dog needs to be in a heel position throughout an entire walk as opposed to just being on a loose leash, the dog stops to sniff, wants to pee on a tree, check out that stick, check out that, you know, whatever it might be um, on the ground, that's part of enrichment. And so, you know, and I see that a lot with my clients, I'm in private practice. So I, you know, work with pet owners, pet guardians, um, and we work at their home, we work outdoors in parks, we work in the neighborhoods, And a lot of times I'm really surprised because, but once I explain to people, no, no, it's okay. You know, let's stop and give Spike a chance to check it out. He's like really into what he's doing now. This is part of the enrichment. People for the most part have been very receptive when I, when I explain to them, but they just don't know. A lot of this is ignorance. People don't know, you know, they had a dog 20 years ago. This is how they trained him. They took him to class and, you know, they were taught heel using a choke chain and yeah. corrections and, yeah. and, you know, the dog needs to be with you. And, and so that's, that's one that I think is an easy fix, right? Because we educate the guardian, we educate the owner, whatever word you prefer. And then um, in some ways it makes the dog's life better, like instantaneously, you know, imagine you're never able, you start reading a book and every time you get to the good part, somebody comes and snatches it out of your hands, right? This is so, what yeah. my husband does to me. So <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> but it does make me wonder, Camille, and you know, I'm always thinking about like research projects that other people should end up doing. Uh, but it does make you wonder, like if, if there's a dog out there who's going on these walks and the owner's not letting them engage in, in, you know, these bouts of, of sniffing responses. Yeah. Like. Does that change how this dog is going to respond to the walk in general? Maybe instead of like looking down to the ground and like engaging with the ground, maybe instead it's scanning the area and checking it out for like other dogs and people. And maybe, I I mean, it's an empirical question. Like if, if we let dogs sniff, especially ones who we would label reactive, whatever that means to you, Mm. you know, would that improve responses? I don't know, but. It'd be an interesting study to see if dogs who sniff may be less reactive in general or mm-hmm. dogs that are allowed to sniff on mm-hmm. walks, you know, yeah. if that 
if that, if, as a whole, that population is less reactive than dogs who are expected to walk, you know, in a heel position and not allowed to investigate their environment. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think in general, and yeah, we need to do the study, but anecdotally, I find that the more nervous the dog is, you can get this displacement sniffing where they're not really inspecting the ground. They just have their nose on the ground and they're walking their noses on the ground. And, you know, it, it's not really like yeah. sniffing for enjoyment versus a dog that's relaxed and like, oh, I think a squirrel ran over here. No, it ran over there. And, yeah. and they're really digging around for nice scents. Yeah, I had a, actually had a client just recently and they were like, whoa, I'm, I'm really bad at this. I, I let my dog, she just stops and sniffs wherever she wants and pees on everything. And, and I know right. I'm not supposed to, cause the trainer told me I can't let him do this. And I was like, oh no, you should totally let your dog do all of the things you're doing. He's like, really? I go, yeah. I go, oh, yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Cause I just yeah. can't bring myself to pull him along. And I was right. like, oh, you're doing fine. <laughs> yeah. So he, so, was, he was relieved to hear that his dog's allowed to sniff now. So just yeah. that, that brings me to another rant that like that sort of ties in. And I don't have a lot of like the, the depth on this one that some other, you know, seminars are going to have, or podcasts are going to have, but that bring the, the, the trainer who recommended, like, don't let your dog sniff to me, you know, that's a red flag in terms of like, whether I would recommend this trainer or not. Right. And so the rant that I would have, or the rave, I'm not really sure which is this, this new, not new idea, but this suddenly very a live idea that there should be certification for professionals who are working on animal behavior. Again, I don't totally know what I think. Like in my mind, I definitely want certificate. Like, I think we should have some sort of baseline certification, but I've, I've also heard some of the downsides too. Really? What is the downsides? Well, some of the downsides would be that in order to get certification, like a, there's a certifying body and you have to trust whoever those people are. And like, you know, they're not, yeah. There's, there's money behind it. You know, there's money and there's yeah. egos. Yeah. And, um, and the other piece is it, then it costs money certainly to get certified. And so that might leave out um, populations that might not have mm-hmm. access to those True. financial resources. Of course, there are ways around that, like potentially scholarships, yeah. but that right. relies on that. And then the other piece is that realistically, whatever certification exists is probably going to be like this very basic baseline that says nothing about whether you're actually good at what you do and simply, of course, that just that you've met some, some standard. Yeah. I would say that I would argue that medical doctors have that same issue. I don't know what kind of grades my medical, my MD made in Mm. med school and you're, and I'm, and this is not, I'm not down talking um, MDs or anything like that, but they do have a centralized, certifying board. And, and right now we're seeing some of the issues with their type of centralizing board with this whole um, tendency to have this misinformation being spread by doctors about certain medical issues out there um, and how slow it is to respond when you have this overarching body. So I think uh-huh. there's, there's always going to be something like that, but on the flip side, it needs to be a regulated field because we yeah. are, the, there is real potential to do real harm. Totally. In, in or here. kill a dog. Exactly. Kill and that's yeah. the thing. And, and that, I think that gets to that baseline issue of the fact that companion animals and pets are still seen as property. 
Right. And so, you know, if you have a handyman come over and he accidentally breaks your window, yeah, that's difficult. But according in the eyes of the law, your dog is a window and, and, and no pet owner would agree with that statement. Not a single pet owner would feel that way. I mean, they're family members, they're living, breathing creatures. They have full emotional ranges. um, And, you know, they're, they're not property. So the fact that exactly that serious harm can be done if you work with someone who doesn't know what they're doing is, it's a real issue. Right. There's no barrier to entry. And I agree. It's not perfect. It may not be perfect from the get-go because, you know, we're just kind of finding our way and feeling things out, what's going to work, what's going to work. But hopefully if we get a bait, some baseline there, then we can refine over time. Um, just, you know, just like some of the other trainer certification programs that are out there, you know, you, you still have to, you have to have a starting point because like you said, just too, I think there's, there's the potential to destroy individuals, to destroy relationships. The dogs yeah. can suffer. The owner can suffer as yeah. well. People pay big money. They send their dogs away. You know, they're, mm-hmm. who knows what they're doing behind closed doors. Yeah. You see on hidden cameras, what they're doing to people's kids sometimes when they leave them yeah. with a sitter or something. So it's just more needs to be done. We're not doing enough to protect yeah. our dogs and, and their people. We could do yeah. better. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think overall, I would put that in the, in the rants call or mm-hmm. yeah, no, the raves column, <laughs> the raves, the good one. Let's put it <laughs> um, in the raves. I like yeah, the I put it in the, I put it in the, in the good column is the fact that we actually are acknowledging the fact that some type of legitimacy needs to be brought to the field. And, yes. and it's catching on. It's not just a, ah, whatever, you're just saying that because you've got the degree, you know, it's, it's like, no, this really is something that, that needs to happen. Right. Exactly. And I'll be curious how that goes. I mean, from, a, from the behavior analysis background, you know, we have a human model that I would, I would love for us to follow. I don't think we will, because it'll be too onerous, too academically onerous. But like, if you're going to be a, a fully licensed and certified b- behavior analyst for humans, you have to have the academic background. You have to have the like 2000 hours. I mean, obviously we wouldn't have hours that big because that would be wild. Um, and you need to pass an exam. But if you don't, like, if you're not that level, there, is, there are lower levels where you can still certainly do, you know, behavior mm-hmm. modification, but it's under the huh. licensure essentially of somebody else. So, okay. I mean, I'll tell you, I would push for that if I possibly could, but I don't think that's... Um, I don't think that's the route we're going to take is my guess. No, but I do think, I think it would be, personally, I think it would be a reasonable model. I mean, I've, I've seen so many sad stories of people who went with your, you know, your trainer with a really flashy website. And Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many private clients I've gone to. They're like, well, we went to this one trainer, we went to this and this is what the trainer told me I had to do. If I want to fix it, this is what I have to do. And they're crying in the middle of what they're doing to their animals. And they're like, I don't want to do this. They told me I have to. And I mean, (sighs) that's emotional torture for the owners. It's physical torture usually for the animals. And, you know, I'm always like, if you are not comfortable with what they've asked you to do, don't do it. You never have to do something to your animal. So 
But people yeah. get caught up. They think, oh, they yeah. know more than me. They're in a position of authority and mm-hmm. they they are giving me advice. They must know they know more about dogs than I do. Yeah. And sometimes some of these trainers could be quite intimidating too. Yeah. And you know, mm-hmm. people just kind of they kind of shut down a little bit. I mean, to this point, I got an email today from somebody who has a 16-week-old shepherdoodle, and they had contacted a trainer, and the trainer had recommended they said, and what they described is just normal dog behavior to me. I mean, I haven't evaluated the dog, but it didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary. It seemed like something quite quite you know, just needed some education for the owner. And this trainer that they spoke with recommended an e-collar on a 16 week old puppy. And I said to the woman, I beg you not to do that. I literally beg you not to do that. That would be the worst possible thing that you could do. And she talked to her vet about it and the vet referred this owner to me. So, I mean, if somebody's recommending a shock collar on a 16 week old puppy, they shouldn't, this person should not be working with dogs. Yeah. They don't understand what they're doing. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And and that's where that whole certification comes in. And I think that might be, I think that actually is one of the issues was, you know, what style of training are we certifying? Because then we are as a profession having to agree with this is how we are physically going to And we don't it. agree. We as a profession typically don't. don't agree. No, we don't. That's gonna be the tricky part, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing I will say about, I know exactly what clients you guys are referring to. So I've had a couple of those recently and like they're heartbreaking about that. They have this background, you know, they went to somebody else who did something horrible, but I, you know, I struggle with that a little bit. Like I was, I was empathized with the client because, you know, let's say I have, um, I have a medical issue and I'm looking at the doctor's websites and one doctor says, I guarantee you what I do will oh. work. I'd be like, I'm going with that guy, even though like, you know, he might be a quick, you know, he might be a quick, I don't know. So it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's yeah. The whole thing is very challenging, but I'm excited. Yeah. We need change. And I'm excited for some type of change. And like you said, Camille, let's just get a baseline in and yeah, we'll work from there and work from there. Yeah. Work from there. It's a process as opposed mm-hmm. to one done, you know? So Jessica rant rave. I have the same rant every year. And, and maybe one year it'll change, but it's always the dogs off leash. Oh, um, good one. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it's going to take to, to get this message across to people. Um, I was just dropping my kids off at school the other day and, you know, I have to drive through a little neighborhood and the school's kind of set in the center of a neighborhood. So it's a lot of houses around And during drop-off, this owner decided that was the right time to let out their dog um, off-leash in the front yard. And it just bolted straight for the street. I mean, there's cars everywhere. This is a hectic time. Kids are also running right in front of them. It's this little cocker spaniel, which already did not enjoy people around it at that moment. And... And the lady who owned it just like, look, watched her dogs bolt around, never said anything. And they just went yeah. to like pulling weeds in her garden and just, oh, you know, let everyone else deal with my dog. Right. And, and she was aware the dog was there and she was aware yeah. the dog was in danger and that the people running, walking up and down her street were not too safe either, but nothing. And yeah, 
And I see it time and time again. Yeah. That's a rant. That's a good one. I mean, I was just at the park about two weeks ago with my Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. We were walking. He's on leash. It's a wooded area. It's in an urban Ann Arbor urban setting. And uh, here comes uh, like a black mix, big shepherd and a, a doodle of some sort, you know, big doodle. And they're barking and charging full force at me, at my little 20 pound Cavalier. And the person tried calling deaf ears. They come running over barking. And I literally scoot my Cavalier up and I'm like holding him above my, above my head, yelling at these guys to get their dogs, you know, oh, they're friendly. Well, you know what? He's 20 pounds and he's scared and he doesn't want to be assaulted on the leash. And it's the public area. There's clearly a leash law, right? But for whatever reason, they didn't feel like they needed to follow those rules. So not, not an apology, nothing. In oh. fact, they flipped me off. <gasps> of course, because in all fairness, like once again, you think of it from the opposite, opposite side of that, right? This person, like whenever you engage in a behavior, usually you don't, you think like, like you're okay with like emotionally or ethically or whatever, like you're okay with, like you think it's yeah. acceptable, acceptable behavior or you wouldn't engage in it. And so they're out there and they think they're doing something totally normal. And this lady just ripped this, them a new yeah. one. What a jerk. <laughs> she's crabby. She's got a stick up, you know, her butt yeah. or whatever. And what she, what kind of day is she having? And they can't see it from the other person's perspective or the other dog's perspective for that matter. Well, they would have to admit that they were wrong and that Correct. would be very difficult. That's true. I do find that to be very difficult personally. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah me too. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, it's I'm never fun. wrong. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just take the never wrong approach. And yeah. it's right, there out. you go. But, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but um, when, I'm, when I'm working with shelters, the, the most infuriating cases are the ones where a dog has to come in and quarantine because an off-leash dog attacked it, but the dog that was on leash, well, the off-leash dog probably ran up to try and be friendly. The dog on leash mm-hmm. is reactive and his fight mm-hmm. starts and the dog on leash hurt either the dog or the owner. And now the person with the off-leash dog wants to press charges or they're getting upset. And, you know, I, I've seen dogs euthanized because someone else's dog was off-leash. I can't That's tell you awful. how many times. And it's, there's, there's nothing you can do at that point. Mm -hmm. And and people who walk their dogs off leash, just, they don't get it. They don't get it. They think they're doing something fabulous for their dogs and, and they're not. Yeah. It's so sad to hear that though, Mm -hmm. Jessica, you know? Yeah. Those cases I just (sighs) get furious about. I'm like, yes, I see the laws. I see that our hands are tied. I see there's nothing else that can be done. Yeah. Um, Just off curiosity, would, would, would the euthanasia in that case happen because like, like the dog on a leash essentially killed the other dog or like, what's the level of bite that has to happen for like that? It could be, it could be the, the person that the dog ends up biting just suffers an injury that's severe enough that even the people who own the dog that's on the leash are maybe it's the last straw like oh no we don't we can't handle this threat in our house anymore um it could be that the person who got bit is telling the owners either you euthanize it or we're suing you um Mm -hmm. and we can't 
you know, I can't make people not behave that way. And even though they had an off-leash dog and yeah, they would get a ticket for their dog being off-leash, the facts are that the dog on the leash did the injury. And so it, it, it would be a difficult thing to, to argue. That's surprising and, to me because I've, I've always wondered, and maybe this is a question for Heidi, I've always wondered what happens in those cases because, you know, again, from, as, you've no, as you have noted, from a legal standpoint, one person is in the wrong and has control of their dog, which I think is the legal term of that. And one person does not have control of their dog. And so in, in my mind, and I've never had a case like this in, in my mind, the, the person in the wrong would be the person whose dog was illegally out of control. Yeah. But I, I've never had, I've never confirmed or denied the results of that. So they're breaking the law. And as a result, this happened. That's how I would interpret it, but I'm not an attorney either. Yeah. And and I think that that's the thing they would have to admit. Yeah, we were breaking the law and we'll go ahead and get our you know, are fine and we'll pay it, but your dog did this. And then, mm-hmm. so it comes down to what's the liability laws and your, your dangerous dog laws in your state. And, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, right. That makes sense. <laughs> direct stop. I carry direct stop with me on walks. I had a dog go through an invisible fence and come after yeah. my mm-hmm. dog a number of years ago. And now I feel like I have to leave the house with direct stop. It's not a hundred percent, but it, it gives me it's a simple. sense of a sense of safety, a sense of, yeah. you know, at least I've got something here if I need, if I need to use it. And, you know, even a, to your point with the off leash a couple of years ago, I mean, I have a Doberman, my Doberman, Jimmy is going to be 13 this year. Thank you. Oh, no. that's so good. And he, he was quite a head case early on. And he's just, he's just turned out to be the most loving, sweet boy, but he's, you know, he landed in the right place. Mm-hmm. If he landed in an environment where people didn't have skills or knowledge and how to deal with aggression and things like that, he probably would have ended up euthanized or beaten or who knows what, but I'm just so glad he ended up with me. But we were walking in the, in a park by my house and we were cutting through the woods. There's kind of a wooded area. And all of a sudden I see this pug running full force right at Jimmy. And I'm thinking, and I've got him on leash and I'm like, and it's just happening so fast. And I said to this woman, call your dog. And she goes, Oh, don't worry. He's friendly. And he's coming right at Jimmy. And he just doesn't even stop. And I go, he's not. And I'm trying to hold him. And, and I had a head collar on him. And so his dog, this dog came running, just jumped on him. And the woman comes running down the path after I said, he's not friendly. And my Jimmy, thankfully, just put this dog down and held him. Nothing didn't do anything to him. The woman comes running down. She jumps on start, start on top of Jimmy and is hitting oh Jimmy. And Jimmy's got a history. I mean, Jimmy could be aggressive to people and dogs. And so I go, what are you doing? And it's, it's almost like I'm playing it like a movie, a surreal movie. I grab the woman, I'm pulling her off of him. We're on the ground. And when all is said and done, and she just lives down the street from me, when all is said and done, I'm looking at myself. I've got blood on my legs. I got sticks sticking out of my hair. I've got scratches on my face from all like the brush and everything in the woods. And, you know, I said, I might, Jimmy, nothing was wrong with Jimmy. He was fine. Nothing was wrong with her dog. So I took Jimmy home and I went with my husband to her house to talk to her about this. And I said to her, I explained to her, I said, you know, this is illegal. I'm not going to report it. 
but here's what you have to do. This is what you need to do. Her husband got defensive with me, started yelling at me. I said, you be quiet. You weren't even there. So just go sit down. And then she said, oh, I'm so glad that you're not going to call the police, blah, blah, blah. My husband is out walking two weeks later. Guess what? This dog sees Jimmy from across the street, gets away from the owner, comes flying again right to Jimmy. And my husband goes, for some reason, Jimmy just didn't react. He had his ball. He carries a ball with him and the dog's bouncing in front of him, barking. And Jimmy's like this, just kind of watching him bounce, you know, like, but it was just a few weeks later. And then about a month after that, I see the owner walking the dog and I'm going out to work at the gym and I'm driving in the morning and she's got this dog on like a 16 foot retractable, not even watching what he's doing. Thankfully, he's a little pug, you know, can't do much damage. And she's playing on her. She's doing something with her cell phone, completely oblivious. And then I pull up next to her and I roll the window down and I go, watch your dog on the way to the gym. <laughs> way like, to make friends. friends. He drives off yeah. and I drive off and I'm like, oh, oh my God. It People just, just refuse okay. to do it. And just- it ended okay. It could have been, a, it could have been one of those cases that you yeah, described. Easily, mm-hmm. easily. And yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if the dog on the leash has a history, a known history of aggression yeah. and the people adopted it and they're, they've been yeah. working with it, it could have been years between its last aggressive episode and then that. And, and, it, and it has, but it has there, been years, you know? but yeah. still. You know, I mean, he's controlled. I don't feel like I want to walk him out of muzzle. He's on a head collar. Yeah. He could have killed, he could have killed this pug. And yeah. instead he just held it down like that, you know, and yeah. I was so proud of him because uh, oh I'm God. proud of you for going back to the house and having that conversation. Yeah. That's hard. That's yeah. so hard. I was worked up. I was really, yeah. really worked up after that because I was injured and it wasn't bad enough that her dog was off leash. She came running down after her dog tried to attack my dog. Then she attacked my dog. And so at that point, something had to give. And I thought, I've got to educate this woman. This is now, this is not okay. Uh, I don't mean to make light of it. It's just that it ended well in the yeah. context, but yeah. it, it very often, it may not end well. And it's not something you want to play with. You know, yeah. if you're going to let your dogs yeah. off leash, do it on private property, property that you own or a friend owns or, you know, or yeah. whatever, but you just can't do it in, in the city like this here. It's just not safe. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> so, so Camille, do you have um, another rant or rave you want to? I do. I have a, I have a rave because I want to kind of maybe throw a few positive ones in. So one of the raves that I, that I like a lot and I practice as well, <clears throat> and I try to teach it to my clients is provide the dogs with a lot of like environmental enrichment um, you know, feeding puzzles are feeding puzzles. 101 are kind of like my go-to to start. Uh, people are using Kongs forever. Kongs, don't get me wrong. Mark Hines from the Kong Con- company is amazing. Kong is amazing. Um, but sometimes I'll hear from people, well, that I've tried feeding my dog out of a Kong and that hole's too small and they give up on it. And I'm not sure about that. So I kind of help them come up with some recipes. One of my new favorite toys, and it has been for probably a couple of years now, is the topple toy by West Paw, which is kind of like a cup that's got an, it, I have a client who calls it the cups, but I, it's, the name is topple. How they came up with that, I don't know, but there must be a reason, but it's just like a, 
it's like a little cup and it's got grooves and edges and all that kind of stuff inside. And I like it because it's, it's kind of soft. So it's got some give. So you got to watch. It's not a chew toy, right? It's not something that a dog can just chomp up. They'll eat it. So it can't be for real strong chewers. But I, I kind of like it because the opening is so big, especially for older dogs. It's really nice. They're able to kind of get in there or even for dogs that are not real tenacious. Like some dogs will work and they'll get that last little piece of food out at the end of the Kong. Whereas a lot of dogs will say, yeah, it's too hard. I give up. I'm not going to do that with this. It keeps them interested. And so I, I basically will, and I have pictures of my freezer with treats, with these topples prepared, but I'll take a little bit of like moist food. It could be, you know, whatever moist food you want to use. It could be dehydrated raw that you hydrate like a brand, like honest kitchen or something like that. It could be canned food. It could be a little bit of yogurt, mix that with the kibble. I stuff it into those topple toys. And then because my dogs, the group I have now, they've got knock on wood, I'm, it's finally, I've gotten this, is a group of dogs with good stomachs. So I can add a little bit extra healthy extras. Of course, always check with your vet, but I might, you know, stuff that into the topple, put like a scoop of like yogurt, you know, plain yogurt on top. I like to have smoothies with berries. I have some leftover blueberries. It looks just like a really cool ice cream sundae. And I put, I maybe make like five, six of these and I stuff them in the freezer and then freeze them overnight. And, you know, that's dinner the next day. They'll take it to another room. You know, they could spend 40 minutes trying to get that out, but because they've got to melt it, then they've got to excavate it. That's a big one. I do a lot of destruction boxes you know, with the dogs, do you guys know what that is? Destruction boxes. I've, I've never used a destruction box. No. Okay. So let me tell you, that's a big hit. It's a big hit in my house. Clients love it too. We get all these deliveries. We're all stuck at home. Everything's being delivered. Chewy boxes work really well for this too. I pick a size appropriate boxes. I got two Dobermans. I use big boxes for the Dobies. My Cavalier gets a little one. It's got all that packaging paper in there. And so those topples I mentioned, I'll take two of the big ones out, wrap it in the packaging paper, stick it in the box for the dogs. One in this corner, one in that corner, little bit of kibble. Oh, scatter that all over the packaging paper. Then I'll take like, um, they get two dental chews in the evening. And so I'll wrap that in the packaging paper. I might even stick it in a toilet paper or paper towel roll and put that in another end of the box. And so everybody gets their own box. I'll carry it to their own side of the room. And they're, it's like Christmas. They're taking out all the stuff. They're trying to find the last piece of kibble. The longest I've had a dog work on a destruction box, they get better with time. So they get quicker, but my Doberman, it took her almost two hours once to get through everything in that box. And it was just I use it a lot on, I'm in Michigan, you know, we've got these cold days where it's 12 degrees or below zero. I've got Dobies. They're not going to go on walks. Forget it. I've got to keep them interested and, and meet those needs for them. Those mental needs, those, you know, cognitive needs, something to do. It's like doing a crossword puzzle for them. It may not be physically exhausting, but you know, as we all know, it's like this mental tire, tiring out a dog mentally can be just as good for them. And so I do a lot of that kind of stuff, a lot of food puzzle toys, very little feeding for free. They're either working or they're working on puzzle toys. And I impart that on my clients and most of them love it. They're like, oh yeah, it keeps them busy at night. You know, he, he was running around doing that. 
yeah, prepare this during the time that he gets those zoomies or he's all, you know, bothering you and barking at you before that starts, let's do this. It just circumvents that whole scene if we can do it. So that's a big one for me, feeding, making feeding time fun and functional, both. Yeah, I would say with the destruction boxes, they're great. We use them in shelters a lot because it's, like you said, it is, it takes up time and these dogs have nothing but, but the Amazon boxes, you can't use unless you can take all that tape off because they have, the tape has a string. And so there's risk for um, blockage and choking. Good to know. Good to know, Jess. Yeah. But of course this is in a shelter environment where there's little to no supervision, right? Right. So we ha- we always had to make sure whatever we were putting in there was safe, and so absolutely, you, know, you can probably be a little bit more lax. But yeah, the the tape that Amazon uses is not pet friendly. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that this is definitely a rave, even in the owner category, because a lot of the clients I'm going to see now, and I'm like, let's talk about puzzle feeders. They'll go, oh, we have all of this. I'm like, oh, people it. are actually getting them yeah. and they're using them, and yeah, so yeah. the word is getting out there. I love it. I do too. The best 15 bucks you'll ever spend. Yeah. Yeah. And Purina has a, on their website, they have a link to, you know, cost effective puzzle feeders. And so you can go on there and they'll have a list of things you can make at home for pretty cheap. And and there's some pretty inventive things on there. Yeah. We'll try to post it with the podcast. That'd be nice. I haven't, this is a rant. Dogs that don't want to be petted by people they don't know, but owners who insist that their dogs should be petted by everyone, even people they don't know, and that they should be willing to accept petting for as long as need be to satisfy the needs of that person. Are those the same people who touch other people's pregnant bellies? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. That is a huge area of education for me and letting them know. I mean, I say to people, if I was walking down the street and some person I didn't know comes up to me and says, oh, you, I love your beautiful curly hair. Let me see it. And they start putting their hands all through my hair and I've never met them before. I'm going to deck them. I'm going to deck them. Do not touch me. I don't know you. And so this whole idea of petting and that every dog should inherently love it and want to be petted and and they should like it by anybody because they're domesticated and they're dogs. And that's what dog, good, good dogs do. I don't know where that started from. It is a double you know? standard. We don't expect that of cats. Totally. No, of course not. Right. We don't for cats. But, you know, it's just it's created a lot of problems because that's what leads to bites. At least in my case, you know, my cases, I see that all the time. All well, the person was over and they were petting or I let the person down the street wanted to come and pet my dog. And I knew it was uncomfortable, but I couldn't say no. I didn't want to be rude. And, you know, now the dog bit the person and now it's a big, it's a crisis. I think the worst part, Camille, is when they come to me and they say, all this stuff happened. Now make it so my dog never bites someone again while other people pet them. It's like, "Mm." owner education, big, big, big. Yeah. On the big, on the flip side of that, so I'm going to put one in the rave column on good. sort of a, the same topic. I saw some, I can't even remember where it was, it like popped up in my news feed on one of my social media things. And I was like, I love this so much. 
it was a person talking about how when they go out to socialize their dogs, they don't let everyone come up and pet them during socialization time because they don't want to teach their dog that everyone wants to pet them. And it was somebody who he, the author was a guy, I think, and he, he likes to own pit bulls. And so he's like, the last thing I want to raise is a 70 pound pity that charges up to people because he wants to be pet. And point. I was like, ah, oh, so wonderful. Cause I see people take yeah. their dogs out. I'm socializing and everybody come pet it and sled my dog and yeah. get close. And of yeah. course yeah. you can pet it and give them treats. Yeah. I'm like, no, you need to yeah. teach your dog that you're protecting it and there's barriers. And, and, and so I love that article so much. I'm like, this person gets it. Yay. Uh, uh, it, yes, exactly. But you know what? People feel very uncomfortable saying no when someone wants to pet their dog because people say, well, what do I tell them? And I'll say in the short term, what you could say is that you're working with the behaviorist. I tell people blame everything on me. I'm I'm more than willing to take the hit for this. But then I go on the flip side. That might also be a good opportunity for you to educate the person. Because maybe you can educate them about it. They can go and tell someone else. Who knows? Maybe there could be this kind of, you know, spreading effect a little bit. Because we've got this incorrect assumption about dogs, at least some dogs, that they all want to be petted by everybody. My case, my case, low does typically doesn't want that. And so, I mean, if you think about it, if that's what adults think, we might teach to our kids. That's how kids get bit. I mean, it's just, it's it, it just... We need to see the dog as a separate entity, independent of us, deserving of respect in their own, in their own right. Mm-hmm. No, it can't all be about what we want, the humans. There's, it's got to be about the dogs, too. I love that. Yeah, I love dogs. And I, lo- <laughs> I love as individuals. I love them as individuals. Yeah. And I feel like so many dogs live lives of quiet desperation because they don't, they're not heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you how many clients I go to and they're like, oh, it's okay. You can pet him. I'm like, your dog is telling me I can't. And, right. And, and I'm yeah. okay with that. Oh, just if you give him a little pet, he'll be your friend. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I get <laughs> He's telling to me not to. Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, look at everything your dog is saying. Like I would have to yeah. get up and walk to him first off. That's right. not a good sign. Second off. Yeah. He's He's not even looking at me. Like this dog is looking out the window, trying to tell me, go out there, leave. <laughs> and so, no, I'm not going to pet your dog. But it, everything comes back to owner education, mm-hmm. right? Owner yeah. education. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, people see Disney and they mm-hmm. see, you know, oh, look at this dog. This is a perfect dog, but they're all individuals. And I think, I think that's the big thing. We've got to get to the owners. We've got to educate people. Well, um, I've got a, I've got a rave related to kind of to the pandemic, like things have been like very virtual, which I think is very cool. And this is something that Camille's probably, you, you actually both have probably been doing for years, but is like kind of new to me. And that is the vet to vet consult. I've been taking advantage of that quite a bit this year mm. because, you know, the wait lists are so long to actually see a veterinary behaviorist and the prices are so expensive and then, you know, COVID and whatnot. And so this year just for, for several of my clients who, who, 
I thought needed a veterinary behaviorist on top of the work that we were doing, you know, I wrote some things up and I sent them videos and I got some very lovely, I think, written assessments that could then go back to my client's um, vet instead of paying $400 for the in-person veterinary behaviorist visit. Instead, my clients paid like between $125 and $175 for this vet to vet consult. And so I really enjoyed that because I've got their veterinary on board. I have a veterinary uh-huh. behaviorist on board. I've got myself on board. You've got the the client. So it's like, we've got this really nice little, like really focused team. That's all coming at it from different angles. Love and that. so, so for me, that's something kind of, um, kind of new. Neat. So Mindy, I don't know, would you be, could you share who you're using, who you've used for the vet to vet consults? Yeah, for sure. So one there, I've got, I've got, um, two heavy hitters. One I have not used, but I'm excited to use the Dr. Chris Ampakal, of course, in, in Oregon. Yeah. Um, right. Kelly Ballantyne is someone who I've sent people in person nice. to quite a bit. And then if, if I'm looking for someone um, who is local in Wisconsin, then I use, she's not board certified, but she specializes in behavior, Dr. Manette Kohler. Okay. Good those to are, know. Those I are did, currently I, my three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's good to know. Yeah. I've not done the vet to vet consult. Oh. I mean, we have a couple, we have a couple veterinary behaviors here in the area. And typically what I've done, I've worked a lot, you know, I work with the vets, the vets will refer, I send back um, if they need medication. And I, I just went to a really good, it was an online webinar. Who, who put it on now? I'd have to look it up again. It was a, probably within the last six months and they gave an amazing medication cheat sheet. And it's just, a, and with the, with the medication, they have it. What do we need it for? What's the dosing? I, I mean, it's just very was, detailed, like an Excel file, but here's the yeah. beautiful part. That of was it. Megan Heron. Megan Heron. Were you there? Did you hear uh-huh. it? Yeah. yeah I looked great. It be, she, she did a great job. And then yeah. she also had all the literature citations yeah. Yeah. to justify choices of medication. So I've been sending that to all my referral sources. Oh. Now it's like, have you, I just went to a webinar and we got yeah. this great cheat sheet here. You might want to post this in the lunchroom or somewhere. And I've gotten really good feedback from that. And so, you know, I think if it gets complicated to the point where the vets locally are willing to try a couple of things, but if it gets to where they need a cocktail or they're going into medications that they're less familiar with, you know, right to the vet behaviorist, but we have one, two, we have three within maybe an hour's drive. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, We do not have that in Wisconsin. And what I'll say is, I mean, I, again, this would be like a really interesting study as well, maybe for someone like who has veterinary behaviorist nearby, but like, whenever I've recommended getting a vet to vet consult on board, because it's so fast, like it happens within two weeks, typically, um, you need, I don't say very little data, but like, you just need me to come like see the dog and like provide some data to the vet. And because it's only, I'll put in quotes only, you know, an extra, let's say $150 on average so far, like my clients are very, have been very on board with doing it. And so I think there are some pros to it. If yeah, with the right dogs. I agree. I agree. I think I, I, you know, it seems like I've offered it to one vet in the area who is just a really, it's been about a year and it was an attractable case. I remember mm-hmm. that. And it's a vet I know well, and she does a lot of referrals to me and I gave her different options. I said, at this point we can send, I think to, you know, veterinary behaviorists, blah, 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 blah. We could do a vet to vet consult. And I use Dr. Pachel, Pachel, how does he say his name? 
I heard him say it recently. It's Pockle. Good to know. Okay. (laughs) Pockle. And, and she elected to send this client to not a board certified veterinary behaviorist, but a vet who was nearby with a special interest in behavior. And, and she was able to, to do what this client needed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I'm seeing one dog now. I swear this dog is on like 10 different medications Mm -hmm. and the dog is just a basket case. The dog has seen me like half a dozen times and he responds. I've tried everything coming with bones, coming with steak, not looking at the dog sitting with my back. I mean, I've tried everything I could think of. And it's like the dog just wants to kill me. It doesn't matter. He just goes right into his like immediate mode. So we've been doing a little bit now remotely just because we could do what we can do remotely. I don't mm-hmm. need to be there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But he's like that with everybody and they keep changing the meds and it's just, he's on so many things and it's just like, yeah. I've never seen him off meds. He's always been on the meds, but I, you know, I said, has it made that big of a difference? Like, oh, not really, but we're keeping him on it. So it makes me wonder at that point, it's like, you know, you've yeah. got to hit this brick wall behaviorally and with medication. Where's there to go from here? You know, I mean, it's just, it can be tough. So that's a, a tough bit. one, Camille. Like when, if, yeah. when I have cases like that, where they're like, I don't know what else to do. I'm like, well, I would at that point get Dr. Pockle on board or like someone who like the creme de la creme, because mm-hmm. if, if you're sort of at the end of your rope, I'm always like, let's just hit it. Let's hit it with everything we got. And if it doesn't work, then. But they're seeing a, a veterinary behaviorist. Mm-hmm. Oh. I've had a couple of clients very similar. It's like, oh, we put them on all this meds. And, and, and that's the question. Well, have you seen any change? And usually it's either very minimal or not really. And so then we're like, well, let's just take them off the meds. And so we take them off the meds. And honestly, it's a very small number. Like I don't want to have all these people going, oh, well, well I'm just going to stop. Yeah, but no. There have been a couple of very small cases where with the veterinarian on board, we go through a weaning protocol and it's kind of like removing the med, removed sort of a, I don't know how to describe it, an underlying buzz, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've, I've only seen it a couple of times. It, it, there's a lot of other times where it's like, all right, well, we'll wean off the meds and there's zero change. Like they were already yeah. so bad on the meds that without them, yeah. you couldn't tell a difference. Yeah. Um, so the meds that, weren't again, really doing anything at the, in that case, but in the, the other case with the buzz, the dog got better off the yeah. meds. Mm-hmm. We saw an improvement, yeah. Uh, yeah. but again, that's rare, but that's right. the thing right. with psych- psychotropic medication is that right. it's an art form. It's, it's not an exact. Yeah exact yeah. thing you've got to figure out what works but yeah and even so. this dog i'm telling you about this little this dog. i mean the people love the dog they mm-hmm. love him there's nothing he could do where they're gonna like give up on him they just love him and they're just great owners they're just really good people but he had really bad separation anxiety we work with that i'm sure the meds were a big contributing yeah. factor as well he's pretty much you know not cured, but he's, he's like, they said he's 90% better. And we don't even talk about that anymore. Cause it's not even an <laughs> issue for them, but he's a rare one too. He's on all these meds yeah. and he's, he's in the state where he's just like, still, when he sees me. And I said, is he like that? When people come to the house, they always like that with everyone. Don't take it personally. And, uh, I don't, but 
I would expect after me being there multiple times that my presence when I come with the best things and he'll take them and he'll chew it. You know, I bring him stuff. I bring him chewies and he's chewing. He's just watching me. Like you could just yeah. tell he's like, when I'm done with this, I'm coming for you. You didn't buy me with this. <laughs> yeah. I try and I try and explain to owners. Like if your dog can't learn who people are, you know, you have a visitor right. once, twice and you're not seeing improvement there. That's a dangerous situation. You know, that's yeah. a dog that is just, he's not processing the environment, he's not um, engaging like a normal dog, but right. if they're able to manage it and they're able to live successfully, yeah, that's where you start asking, you know, all management fails. So when your management fails, what's the worst case scenario um, right. for small dogs? It's usually pretty tolerable for 90 pound dogs. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a different no. conversation. So, no. and that's probably my last rant is uh, rescues or placement programs that place these behaviorally compromised animals into people's homes. Good one. And, That's they, a good and they do one. it knowingly. You know, I will put that asterisk there. There's, you know, there's a lot Ugh. of times you really don't know what you're dealing with, but I can't tell you how many clients I've had. Well, they told me that he bit two people in his previous home and he's been in three other homes and it didn't match, but they know oh. he's just waiting for the right house. And I'm like, crazy. That crazy. is not good. Jessica yeah. and I at one point talked about having an entire podcast of just reading the language of rescue stories. Cause like, sometimes you read them and you're like, red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's so much. I just, I, I just, it really goes all over me. Cause I do think rescues serve such a huge purpose and they can do such great work and a lot of them do and then you get these i don't know where where it happens but every dog's going into a home regardless of history or threat or danger and yeah and we'll just find owners who um we'll just get them to take the dog home and then they'll start working with it like well owners aren't signing up to be behaviorists not everybody wants a project dog they're looking uh, for their new best friend, not a project yeah, or exactly. dog that might bite. Yeah. And right. Hey, maybe there's people out there who are like, I want to, I want to learn how to be a behaviorist. Let me adopt the yeah. hardest case you have, you know, I mean, right. that's how many to do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How but, many? Uh, exactly. So, I don't know. Even being a behaviorist, like I still don't want to get bit. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've had, I've had enough of, I, I don't need any more bites. We're good. <laughs> oh. Have you guys had serious bites? I luckily knock on wood. I'm on a wooden desk here. I've been bitten. Rarely it's happened. And I mean, I've had to go to the doctor and have it flushed out, but I've never, it's never been a major, you know, where it's been deep or I've needed, you know, further medical treatment, knock on wood. Yeah. I've had to get a tetanus shot. I've had I've had three bites. And, and the thing is, I saw all three of them coming. I knew exactly I, what was going to happen. In oh, hindsight. No. Yeah. In hindsight. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, here we go. Let's, yeah. let's do it. I would say I've been in scenarios where bites were imminent countless times. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it's conversations with the owners before you get there. Some of it is I've learned the hard way. One of the bites was before I started being very 
insistent on your dog has to be on a leash before I come into your home. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a client who was like, they, the dog was in another room. I came in and then they opened the door. It was like releasing the bull and Mm -hmm. the dog just came straight at me and there was nothing I could do. I mean, you know, I'm not going to turn my back on a charging animal. No. And I was like, you've got to get him. And I was like, what's, I need you to put him on a leash and back him up. He's like, well, normally we have him on a leash when people come in, but I just wanted to see what he was going to do. And I'm like, that's not, that's not what I'm here for. Famous last words. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's not what we're here for. So yeah, I don't know. People are convinced that I need to see their dogs biting or being their worst selves to understand what they're doing. I really don't. I really. No, I believe you. (laughs) I know what it looks like. I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been bit twice, but only one broke skin and it wasn't that bad. And my bites I've learned from, I've learned from every, every situation. One bite was a small dog. I did not see it coming. I should have seen it coming, but I didn't see it coming and it did not break skin. It just, um, left some marks and I was wearing jeans. And the second dog was a pit bull, our pit mix who Uh played really hard with toys and thought my hand, like literally thought my hand, like you could tell this dog was not trying to bite me, but like it thought my hand was mm. a toy. And so as I was trying to pull my hand really slowly away, it was like a trap, you know, where like yeah. it just got tighter and tighter. Yeah. And I was like, this dog's going to crush my hand. And luckily like Ooh. it was treat motivated and like we could throw a treat and it yeah. finally like let go. But um, yeah. Did it like, hold? Did it oh, hold? Oh, it held. Oh yeah. That's and scary. It, it was yeah. so scary. Cause I'm like, I'm getting my hands about to get crushed. Like this is not good. Yeah. Um, and but it's not like, doing yeah. it. It's not a special bite that pit bulls have. This was a dog that was had something it didn't want to like go of. Like, right. I just yeah. want to make sure right. people will listen to this and go, see, pit bulls lock their no. dogs. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, I was lock. wearing a glove yeah, and it thought it was a toy. And I mean, I'm at the point, Camille, where if if a dog even has any bite history, regardless of the situation, yeah. I want at least historically, I would say, yeah. oh, if your dog, you know, only bit while somebody was touching it who shouldn't have been touching it or like somebody was trimming their nails or like someone took yeah. something out of its mouth. Those are specific situations. So, so it's probably not going to bite when I'm there. And I found like, yeah. no, sometimes no. I'm wrong. Right. Well, <laughs> the owners a lot of times aren't telling you everything. They're like, yeah, my exactly. dog only does it once. It's only once. And it was right. 30 years ago. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. Then why are you there? Exactly. You know what? I will not go in a house and I'm very adamant about this. I sent out instructions the week before. Yeah. I will not go in a house if the owner's holding the dog on leash. If the dog is at the front door, the dog needs to be crated, gated, behind a closed door, in a separate room. Once I'm indoors and seated, and we're going to get a little information, a little more information. We will talk about the best way for you to bring out the dog to meet me, but it's very structured. And I've heard dogs barking on the other side of the door. I go back to the car. And I call them, remember, you're supposed to put them away. I'll be at the door in a few minutes. And then we go from there. I don't, I don't chance it. And since the COVID, since this whole COVID thing, and I went remotely, everything was remotely until it opened up a little bit. And I could start seeing people in person again. It made me realize, you know, for some of these dogs that have done serious damage, they're big. They, I'm not going in the first time, the first appointment could be remotely. I could look at video. I've got a whole video library I could use to do demonstrations with my, I have my own dog there. We could, but we're going to start the first appointment and get them working 
And then in a month or so, I'll come out to the house, but we're going to have A, B, and C in place yeah. because I can't risk my life for my work. You know, I just can't. Yeah. And yeah. after a while, I've been doing this long enough, I find that I've gotten, and this is scary, I find that I've gotten a little desensitized to the danger yeah. because I'm exposed to it all the time. And I have to remember that and always keep that part of me in check yeah. because it is, it's very risky what yeah. we do. It could be. And I would say, I think my worst bite still is from a long haired dachshund. I just, really? Oh, those, those things. <laughs> those things. They're awful I know. now. that dog man again another one of those saw it coming um but yeah the this the jump and squeak thing I will say that after a couple whenever I have a close call whenever I've seen like a really intense case the next dog I'm jumpy it takes a little while to for the jumpy to kind of settle back down yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit of like a post-traumatic sort of response. Yeah. It's like, well, that one try right back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But squeaking, uh, oh. I probably wouldn't do. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to train it out, but I don't know how to train that out. It's just... <laughs> so, okay. Well, I know we're, we're at an hour, so I'm probably going to have to to cut some of what we've, we've chatted about, but um, is there any last like two minute major rant or rave that either of you want to get in there's always more oh i know oh yeah <laughs> we could go for another hour <laughs> i think i guess i'm going to do a real quick mm-hmm. one here because this is for the public i guess one of my rants would be you know people that people that are using punitive methods on their dogs um I don't like it. We've got some data to show that that's not a good approach. It certainly doesn't help with the relationship. Um, I'm not a big fan. I don't like prong collars. Don't like choke chains. Don't like e-collars. Don't like invisible fences. And that's because I see the fallout of that. And I work with it all the time. And more often than not, when I have the person stop using those devices, the dog gets better. The dog gets better. There was one lady that was local and she was so receptive. And I, and it was a, we started as a remote consult and she's a dentist. They're very educated people. Her husband's educated They're there. And I said to her, and she's telling me all this stuff, her dog bit somebody, the dog's on an invisible fence. He's on a bark collar. They use a handheld shock collar with the dog. And she sent me video of the dog. The dog looked like he was afraid in his own skin. He was afraid to move. He was afraid to make a mistake. He was, everything was like scary to him. And he was just a bag of anxiety. And I, and I'm listening to them and I'm letting him talk. And, and I said to them, I'm going to say something to you now. And I hope that you're going to be receptive and that, that you're going to be open to trying something new because clearly what you're doing isn't working and I can't make it work because here's why it's not working. But I propose this, if you could try this for like six weeks, like get rid of the invisible fence, get rid of the bark collar, get rid of the shot collar. And here's the things I'd like you to do instead and just try it for six weeks. And if it doesn't work, you could always go back, but at least we played through the experiment and then we have more data and we can decide from there. Well, I went back to these, I went actually in person to see these people for the follow-up. 
oh my gosh, this dog was, she's like, I can't believe, I can't believe I've been doing this to my dog for all these years. The dog was happy, go lucky, greeted me. He, the stress level, she said, is completely down, completely down. They were doing treat training and positive stuff and giving the dog choices. And the dog's world was starting to expand out. And he was just, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't be more grateful for something that simple, but the dog was shut down, scared, defensive. The world was a scary place for this dog. And he responded in, in, in accordingly. So I think a lot of times we resort to those things. I used them too. I have a shock collar. I mean, I all like my first dog was in the nineties. Everybody's like, oh, you got to put a shock collar on Marty. Mm. Okay. Got to use a prong collar on him. Got to use a prong collar. He's going to blow you off. You don't use that. Pr- okay. You know, I did these things and I it didn't feel right, but I didn't know enough. And a lot of people I assume are like I once was, they just don't, they're not bad people. They just don't know enough. And, and, and so I see that that's a first line of defense for a lot of people who don't know. And again, we go bad. We have, we have a lot of education to do out there, but I don't like those devices. I mean, I, just, I don't like them. That's one of my, that's, that's a rant of mine. And maybe everybody doesn't dis- agree with me and that's okay. We can have a discussion about it, but it's just. It's an empirical question. Someone needs to study it. Yeah. yeah. But, it's been studied. Well, I mean, yeah, has yeah. It been studied I, know, well? I know it's been studied, <laughs> yeah, but it's been studied in like very specific con in, in in other types of context. And I think people, people who don't want to believe something need the data is like slapped across their face in this particular context that is relevant to you. We have studied it and blah. Like, I don't like that. That's how it works, but. Or people will say to me, but it works. And I go, well, how do you define works? And then they'll go into about, well, it's not doing this anymore and it's not doing that anymore. Well, yeah, because punishment does work. There's no debate on that. We know that. And then I'll get into like, do you, is this type of relationship though, that you want to have with your dog? You know, dogs are supposed to be our best friends. Is this the kind of relationship that you want? Sometimes they do. Unfortunately, it's rare, but more often than not, it isn't the kind of relationship that people want. They just don't have an alternative. Um, yeah, and that's, that's I see that as my job is to give them that alternative. So that's, a I love that Camille. I don't know. You're we inspiring. Have so many, well, thank you. But we have a lot of invisible fences here a lot. And I've often said I could probably run a side business on some of the fallout of the invisible fence. Yeah. Invisible fences you know? are, they're tough. People don't understand that, you know, your dog can be so spooked that it's just going to bolt right through it. And then what? It can't come home. It's not going to come back. Um, Yeah. And it's, that's tough. Definitely. But uh, it's class. Oh, hi. there, (laughs) But I will say that's one of the perks of living in the South. We love our fences and our walls, if you will. But uh, yeah, privacy fences are a big thing in the South, which is nice. Um, Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that that wasn't the norm until I moved into the Midwest. And then I was like, why doesn't yep. anybody have a fence? I don't want to see yeah. back here. This is weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very different. And then, yeah, it's just invisible fences were awful. And it, I had a German shepherd at the time and I would take him on walks and he was, 
he was a little bit neurotic and a little skittish as all good German shepherds are. And, um, and normally I had, tra- I had him trained in the South. Uh, we can walk on a leash and if dogs are barking behind a fence, he knew he was safe and it was okay. First time we went for yeah. a walk where there was an invisible fence. My dog, I've never seen him backpedal so fast. This dog was charging wow. up to its invisible fence. My dog freaked out. He knew it was over. He was a goner. He was backpedaling. He was crying. He, um, he ended up, you know, flipping over and peeing a little bit. He was just so scared. Aww. And so then I'm like, okay, we've got to. And so we would go for a walk. And like, every time we got close to that one house, he would, he would pull me across the other side of the street and he <sighs> wouldn't do it anymore. And I don't think people realize their invisible fence also impacts what's passing on the other side. That's a, that's very, I haven't heard that story before. That's very interesting. Yeah. Jimmy, come on in here and say hi. Here's the Jimmy that was jumped by the pug. He's, he's good. He's going, he's He's like, it's dinner time. Yeah. He's like, he's my little good boy. I love him. All right. Well, I know our pups are, are getting, um, sounds like anxious for, for kibble. Yeah. So I think we have over an hour, so I'm going to end it there. Thank you so much for coming on Camille. My pleasure. This was so fun. Thank you so much for asking me. 